clarity about what's going on. Um, this is, I think, the longest series that we've done together. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to keep some momentum and, and keep us rolling. we got one more week, and uh, we're going to wrap things up really well next week, and I think we're going to get to a place where um, we're all pretty situated. But here's, here's a thing that bothers me, and I'm probably just overly sensitive to it. How many of you have heard um, the phrase that if you want good neighbors, what you need is a good fence? <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> if you want good neighbors, what you need is a good fence. We can't, we, and the, that, that idea is really, really common, and it's, it's just it's mind-boggling to me. Like, my kids, like, you're from the same family. You have all the same toys. You speak the same language. You live in the same space. Like, wouldn't it be better for you to figure out how to get along with each other as opposed to trying to separate into your own little corners and like, don't mess with me, don't mess with me, don't mess with me. Like, you sleep in the same room. You're not going to get away from each other. And it's, it's, it's really interesting to me that we live in neighborhoods, we live near people who are very similar to us. They make roughly the same amount of income because we spend the same amount on, on housing. They, like, they're like us in a lot of ways, and yet, when it comes to like the property line or who mows what, like, it gets tense, and, and neighbors can't talk to each other, and it, it, it drives me nuts. So I want to propose that maybe fences ought not to be our only solution to making good neighbors, because... I don't normally do this, but I'm just going to tell you up front. Our big idea this morning is that God's Spirit guides his mission toward unfamiliar neighbors. The neighbors that we're comfortable with, like that's just round one in how God starts to work. That God's Spirit guides us towards unfamiliar neighbors. Neighbors that we didn't necessarily want to talk to. Neighbors that kind of made us cringe. And there's a lot of different ways that that can happen. So God's Spirit guides his mission toward unfamiliar neighbors. And the way that I want to explore this is by looking at how God started the church. See, we, we have been talking a lot about things that happened in the Hebrew Scriptures. It's commonly called the Old Testament. We talked about the Gospels, which kind of actually is in the Old Testament too. And Jesus came and changed everything. We saw how he worked with his disciples. But then God did something different. He started the church. And that's what we're going to talk about today because, hey, that's where we are. When I say good morning, church, you guys say, hey, good morning, because you know we are the church, Right? So what is, what is all of this? It's taken us seven weeks, but what does all of this start to mean for us today? Let's pray. God, we need you. We need your spirit to clarify your word to us. God, we come together and we worship you and we acknowledge that even when we wandered far from you, you were right there near us. That God, all we needed to do was turn around to find you there. You're so patient. You're so kind to us. So Lord, I pray that you would continue to lead us on to the next steps of our journey. Father, I pray that you'd give us faith in you to take those next steps. Lord, I thank you that you'll be there with us when we do. God, I pray that as we open your word today that you would uh, 
help us to, to, that you would embed it in our hearts, that you would help us to cling to your words that are true. And that, God, if there's anything I say today that is just my opinion, God, I pray that you'd wash that out of our minds, but that your word would remain and endure forever in our hearts. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. So we're going to read together, beginning in Acts chapter 1. The book of Acts chapter 1, if you're using a blue Bible, it's on page 1134. 1134. 1134. 1134 in the blue Bibles there. It's the book of Acts chapter 1. And last week we covered a lot of ground in the book of Luke. Well, Luke is actually the first scroll of two scrolls is Luke and Acts. Luke wrote both of them. They kind of go together. So I want to carry Luke's story all the way through. We're going to be in the book of Acts, and I'm going to begin in chapter 1, but I'm going to start in verse 6. Because where we left off last week was that Jesus had given his mission to the disciples. He said, hey, I want you to go and preach the kingdom. I want you to tell people that if they repent, I'll forgive their sin. And he, he opened this up and gave them this mission. And so now they have the mission. Jesus spends some time with them. And in the book of Acts, chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, we read. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He, being Jesus, said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, um, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into the heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So, so here's the thing. So Jesus has given them a mission, and he spends 40 days-ish hanging out with them and trying to you know, walk with them and, and demonstrate. So he died, he came back to life, and then he walks with his disciples a little bit more. And when it's time for him, and they say, hey, like, you're back. You're the king. Aren't you going to set up the kingdom now? Is it's not time, and it's not time for you to know yet. But what's going to happen is you will receive power. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we don't think about this too, too much, but when they were in Jerusalem, these were people who were grandchildren, great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren of the people who had rebuilt the altar and rebuilt the temple and rebuilt the walls around this city. They lived in that city. They had a Jewish heritage. They were Hebrews. And they were in Jerusalem. They were in the capital city. And the capital city is in the region of Judea. It's like Ocala is in the county of Marion. And then Samaria was the, the next neighboring town, and we didn't really go over there very much. They're kind of backwards out there in Samaria. He says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, not just in the city, but all throughout the region. And then you're going to go to the next-door neighbors in Samaria, and you're going to be witnesses there, and you're going to go to the ends of the earth. There's this spiritual thing that Jesus is getting ready to do. 
And this is where we asked the question a couple of weeks ago, well, when Jesus shows up, he changes everything. And he's, he's more concerned about the spiritual truth, and he's more concerned about spiritual renovation than he is about, like, stuff. It was, it was those old Hebrews that got hung up on the temple and, and sacrifices and those kind of things. Like, what, did Jesus changed all that. He became the sacrifice. All those things pointed to him. Like, he, we should just be concerned about spiritual things. But I want to show you in Acts chapter 2 because they stick around in Jerusalem and guess what? The Holy Spirit shows up the way that Jesus said it was going to happen. They spend time in prayer, seeking God, and the Holy Spirit shows up at Pentecost and comes down and, and, and they start, and Peter gets up and starts preaching. And he actually preaches most of the Old Testament in one sermon. And then he says, and then the people like repent and they follow Jesus they accept him as Messiah like this is awesome God's confirmed the message that he sent but I want to see how this I want you to see how this manifested in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 so that's going to be on page 1137 just the next page over in the blue Bibles Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I just want you to see that, that, that when God's Spirit renovates people, when people are spiritually renewed, they care for physical needs. Physical or spiritual renewal leads us to care about and care for physical needs. These people have been indwelt with the Holy Spirit, and how did that manifest? They spent time in Scripture. They spent time talking to God in prayer. They spent time getting together in fellowship. And they, they were willing to sacrifice their own things in order to provide for the needs of others. See, we... And Pastor Mario just last week preached an excellent sermon, which was not related to this. But if you if you're interested in hearing somebody much smarter than me talk through it, like he does a great job. And he 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 says we tend to think about people either as just spiritual or just physical. And if we just treat people as though we're just a spirit, you're just a soul that's trying to get into heaven, then we miss a lot of what God has, has been doing on the earth, and we neglect those things. And if we treat people as if they're just beings, just physical beings, and we neglect that they have a spirit at all, then, then we care for them and take care of them until they die and go to hell. They're not prepared for what comes next. But we are whole persons, and Jesus redeems all of creation, spiritual and physical. And so our spiritual renovation leads to caring for physical needs. We see that here as soon as the church is started. They're sharing things. And I, I don't know how your dinner table is, but my dinner table, like, sharing things is like a step up spiritually, you know what I mean? Like, I ordered this, and no, you can't have a bite. You keep your hands off, right? That's how you know, that's how you know that they were spiritually renewed. They were willing to share food. Like, 
I want to make a Baptist joke here, but I'm not sure how to word it. You know what I'm saying? They're listening. <laughs> These are people that were coming from different, different walks of life. They were all, they had the same spiritual heritage and they just shared what they had. And this is, we know this. We, we have articulated this a number of times in a number of different ways that God gives us good gifts to share with other people. And they got this. There's some indication that maybe they got it a little bit too much because the next couple of whatever uh, other churches had to you know, share their good gifts with the church in Jerusalem because they kind of lost it, but that's neither here nor there. They, they understood that the spiritual renovation cared for physical needs. So here's, here's the question for us this morning. Do we choose to see and meet the needs of our family in their best interest, our spiritual family, our faith family? Do we choose to see and meet the needs of our, of our spiritual family in their best interest. We, are, we have so much information that flashes at us all the time. We're constantly like, this thing, this thing might be just an instrument of the devil. I'm not sure. I use it. It's in my pocket even as I'm preaching, and yet I'm not sure. But we have stuff flashing in our eyes all the time. We have so much that we have to, we have to weed out. Will we choose to see needs in other people? Because we choose not to see it a lot. There's times where we walk into the room and go, whoa, like, there's, these are some needy people. I'm just going to back out slowly. I can't handle all this. Do we choose to see the needs of other people? Do we choose to meet the needs of other people in their best interest? Because sometimes you walk into a room and go, man, there's a lot of needy people in here, and the people in there don't know they have a need. They're like, no, I'm good. Like, no, like, your life is, you're off track. There's something wrong here. There's something broken. They're like, well, this is just kind of how life is, right? And you're like, no, like, don't you know Jesus? And they're like, yeah, he's kind of cool, I guess. But, and you're like, no, like, you really need to know who Jesus is. There's times where you, you are trying to meet somebody's need that they don't even know that they have, and it takes a long time to walk with them, to show them. Like, Jesus is the answer to this. It's going to take a while for you to get there. You don't know that there's a problem here, but I love you enough to walk with you through that. Do we choose to see and meet the needs of other people in their best interest, whether they know what their needs are? Because that's the definition of love. And we know that God's renovated people love their neighbors. And we know that Jesus uses people to meet needs for the purpose of salvation. And so they're, they're, they're like locked in with Jesus. They're trying to follow Jesus, but they're, they're stuck. And I don't know that they see that they're stuck. Sometimes we don't even see our need and don't know how to meet it. But Jesus has, can see what we need and gives it to us whether it feels good or not. I want you to see in Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. And this is at the end of a martyrdom. So they just stoned Stephen for preaching the truth to him. <clears throat> 
And Saul approved of his execution, Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. The apostles apparently stayed in Jerusalem. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So this guy Saul watches this, uh, this guy Stephen be murdered for preaching the truth of the, of the word. And he's excited about it. And then he starts arresting people who believed the same thing that Stephen did. So Christians now are being scattered out. of. It's not safe to be in Jerusalem anymore, so they leave. It's persecution that starts to spread the church, which I think is fascinating. Look in in verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. They continued. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. They had grown up and they had been in this little circle. They grew up Jewish. They had a Hebrew heritage. And so they loved Jerusalem. They stayed in Jerusalem. And then they're preaching the truth in Jerusalem. And then it's not safe in Jerusalem. So where do they go next? Samaria. Now, we don't really read too much into this, but the Samaritans were were not acceptable to the Jews. Like the Jews had this thing and God gave it to them. He said, you ought not to marry people that aren't Jewish. Like you need to stay in the family because the people of the nations around here are corrupt. Samaritans didn't listen to that. They just kind of married who they wanted to. And so as far as like the religious devout Jews were concerned, Samarians were, were um, um, stained. They, 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 they were stained. They, they weren't accept, like You guys can't actually worship God because you've, you've walked into this and, and you've rejected what God said. So th- there's this disdain. There's this religious disdain. Like, your background, like, you can't, like, ugh. But Stephen, not Stephen, excuse me, uh, Philip. Is it Philip? Is that right? Okay. <clears throat> but Philip goes into Samaria and preaches the word. He just does what he does. He preaches the word and people accept it. And there is much joy. So people from a different religious background than they expected are responding to the truth of the gospel. God is moving them away from the familiar, but he's doing it by persecution. Does that rub you kind of wrong? Like, why would God allow people to be murdered? Why would God allow people to be put in jail just for, just for proclaiming the truth of who he is? Does that make you uncomfortable? Let me just remind you that God patiently overcomes obstacles to his good work. That the enemy likes to think that if I, if I kill them or if I put them in prison, that then they'll shut up. But God patiently overcomes obstacles to his good work. And the thing that the enemy meant to destroy the church, God is using to send it out beyond the borders of a single city and a single region.
We know that God's renovated people love their neighbors. But somebody once asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And in that story, he talked about a priest, a Jewish priest, a Jewish Levite, somebody who served at the temple, who walked by a guy that had been robbed on the side of the road. But it was the Samaritan who stopped, who carried him to an inn, and then essentially left a blank check to say, take care of everything this guy needs. Who was my neighbor? My neighbor is the people with a different religious background I don't really care for. People that don't read the Bible the same way I do. Who are our neighbors? Who are the people we don't like to get into conversations with? God's Spirit guides his mission toward unfamiliar neighbors. See, the nation of Israel and Samarians, Samaritans had a shared religious background. Like they started as Jews and then these guys split off. They're kind of in the same family-ish, but they're the distant cousins I don't like to talk to. But God's Spirit guides his mission toward unfamiliar neighbors. It gets more unfamiliar than that. Look with me in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 is on page 1147 in the Blue Bibles. I'm going to begin reading at verse 17. And what has happened here is the Apostle Peter is hanging out in a town called Joppa. I've been there. It's a really, really cool town. It's still neat. <clears throat> I liked it a lot. So he's, at, uh, he's in Joppa, just kind of hanging out doing his thing. And um, it's 12 o'clock. What happens at 12 o'clock? I know what happens on my crew at 12 o'clock. Lunch break. Yeah, he's hungry. It's 12 o'clock. It's time to eat. It's lunch break. And, and the people that are staying with him, they want to cook for him. So he's like, man, it's lunchtime. And they're like, oh, well, we'll get started. And I don't know if you've ever had a host like that. Like, I, yeah. So uh, it's hungry. It's lunch break. He's waiting. And he's so famished that he starts to have this dream. Like he's having a vision in the middle of the day. And, and this sheet, this big white sheet comes down out of heaven and it's just full of all of these creepy crawly things, all these things that Jews were not even allowed to eat. Like they, they, they used, these animals were unclean. And a voice comes from heaven and says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he says, no way. He says, those animals are unclean. I'm a good Jew. I've never eaten anything like that. And the voice says, what I have called clean, you do not call common. What? And the sheet goes up, and the sheet comes back down. The same thing happens three times. Has this weird vision. What I have called clean, you should not call common. Look with me in verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, 
I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion. Let me pause right there. A centurion, a Roman, a Greek, somebody who doesn't have anything to do with the Jewish nation, somebody who doesn't even have like great, 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 great grand people that were kind of related to us and they just kind of went off the beaten path. These were just separate, a centurion, like leader of the Roman army, like Roman army who crucified Jesus, that kind of thing. Like that's who this guy is. He says, Verse 22, and they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you and to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. So the brothers there are talking about Jewish people. He's taking an entourage, you know, just in case things go south. Verse 24, and on the following day they entered Caesarea, which is a couple miles north. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. (laughs) But Peter lifted it up saying, stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. You know that I'm, I'm in trouble here. I ought not to be here when my dad finds out like he might kick me out of the house. <clears throat> you know how unlawful it is, but God has shown me that I cannot call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. Listen to this, verse 30. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Listen, now therefore... We are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. All that you have been commanded by the Lord. I'm just going to ask if this, like, does this ring something in your head? You're like, been commanded. All all authority has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, teaching them all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you all. This... This guy who doesn't know, he doesn't know what he's saying. He's saying, look, I had a vision. Like I was praying to God that God would help me out here. And God said, hey, go get Peter. And Peter shows up. And he's like, what do you want me to tell you? He's like, well, tell me, what, what's the Great Commission? Why are, you, why are you out here? What are you doing? It's almost as like you walk into, somebody, you walk into somebody's house and they're like, hey, what's, the, what's this gospel thing people keep talking about? Like, I'm a little bit confused about what Jesus is. Like, you taught me about that? Verse 34, so Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. We are witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea 
They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He really came back to life. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Mic drop. No, God's not done. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word and the believers from among the circumcised, read the Jews, who had come along with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. See, I I wanted to read all of that to you. I wanted you to see how it unfolded, how God got in the middle of this and made it happen. Like, you can look at the persecution and go, well, yeah, of course. Like, they were saying something completely different from what anybody had heard. Of course they were going to get persecuted for that. That's not necessarily God getting involved. But you can't doubt when God shows up in a vision and says, hey, go get Peter. And at the same time that people are traveling to come get Peter, Peter's having a dream about animals and stuff. Like, that's weird. And these guys knock on the door and say, hey, we're looking for Peter. And he's not supposed to go with Gentiles. He's not allowed to go into their house. And he says, all right, I'll go. And they walk 10 miles up the road all the way up the coast. And they show up. And he's like, hey, what do you want me to say? And he's like, I want you to tell me what the gospel is. And he's like, I'll tell you what the gospel is. And he tells them what the gospel is. And they immediately just like the spirit of God falls. And he says, all this time, listen, listen, listen. All this time, I'd grown up believing that those people were dogs. All this time I thought that there was no hope in heaven and on earth for them. That they were rejected by God. That we are God's chosen people. That we're the special ones that God wants to do stuff with us. And in this moment right here he understands it's not about that. This is the point where God says, look, you think that what Jesus came to do was just for Jewish people. He came and he spoke primarily to Jews. He spent a little time with a lady in Samaria But that was like, whoa, that was controversial. And now you've been my witnesses in Jerusalem. You've been my witnesses in Judea. You've been my witnesses in Samaria. And here's to the ends of the earth. God's not done yet. Because God's spirit guides his mission towards unfamiliar neighbors. If that's your neighbor, you've got to answer. So i got to preach the gospel right now. God's spirit guides his mission towards unfamiliar neighbors. See, God's projects are designed to renovate God's people. What God wants to do is renovate the hearts of God's people. And when God's people start to work on a project, sometimes we get focused in on the details of what that project is. I got to do this thing. And sometimes we get so focused in on the project, we forget about the people. But God's projects are designed to renovate God's people and to take them to love their neighbors because God uses many methods to accomplish his one mission. It's not just cut and paste. He uses many methods. Who would we prefer 
to build a fence against and keep out of the community. Who are the people that we say, all right, like, we're, we're I mean, we come to church, and so, you know, we've, we're a certain kind of person. And, and there, there's a certain, there's, there's some people that if they came into church, like, I eh, really want them here. Who are the people that we would build fences against to keep out of our community? They say, God, there's no hope for them in heaven and earth. They're on their own. Our natural inclination is to make divisions between ourselves. Economically. People who are, are poor can hate rich people just as much as rich people can hate poor people. We, our inclination is to make divisions between ourselves. And we're not real smart, so we go for the low-hanging fruit. Like, your skin's a different color than mine. Like, we must be different. Like, eh. So what? Our natural inclination is to make divisions between our, ourselves, but God's Spirit brings everyone together. Jews first, because God was doing something special with them, but then Gentiles. Here's, if you didn't get this, you realize this is where the promises of God come to you. Personally, Don, Michelle, like we don't have Jewish heritage. We weren't brought into the promises of God until Jesus gave them to us. And then these people began to understand it applied to us too. All of this, all of this book before, you see how big that is? You see how little that is? Like all of this is about Jewish stuff. We don't get in until right here. The promises of God don't come to us until here. And if they didn't understand that God's spirit guides his mission toward unfamiliar neighbors, we're lost too. But for God's grace, he's brought us in. I didn't deserve it. I know some of your stories. You didn't deserve it either. Who would we prefer to build fences against? And if you can think of somebody, the challenge is stop. God's hope is for them as well.